we want to see uh, our city healthy and well. And that means housing. That means employment. That means food security. That means uh, good access to good health care. Hi, I'm Naomi Mahaffey, and welcome to Pause, an Alberta Social Innovation Connect podcast. What happens when a wellness centre begins to think deeply about how to address the root causes of systemic issues? A junk removal company may not be your first guess, but that's exactly what Jasper Place Wellness Centre in West Central Edmonton created as its first social enterprise in 2011. This agile and collaborative organisation takes its mission seriously, to continuously explore and provide innovative and accessible health and community-based solutions. It owns and operates five businesses that provide employment opportunities for vulnerable community members, putting over $1 million of payroll back into the community each year. It also runs a community health clinic, provides wellness education programs, and is a core partner in collaborative efforts to end homelessness and improve food security in Edmonton. Today on Pause, we welcome two of the brains behind Jasper Place Wellness Centre, Henry Mota and Murray Soroka. I really enjoyed the opportunity to sit down with them as they reflected on their change-making journeys and how their organization has evolved. They spoke about the benefits and tensions of running businesses that employ vulnerable populations, what it takes to be adaptive and truly learn from failure, what systemic barriers and gaps are currently standing in the way of meaningful change, and what's needed to create systems change. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Pause. We are here today with Henry Mota and Murray Soroka from Jasper Place Wellness Center. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, yes, thank you. to be here, yeah. Um, so to start, I thought I'd just ask you both to introduce yourselves. Uh, tell us who you are, what role you're in, and how you came to be there. Uh, my name is Henry Mota, and I'm the Chief Operating Officer for Jasper Place Wellness Center and Redemptive Development. And uh, 10 years ago, I was in a second cup talking to Murray, and he asked me to join him in, in an adventure uh, trying to end homelessness in Edmonton. And after 10 years, we have created uh, 12 different businesses, consolidated into five, um, and we have about uh, between 60 and 70 employees. Uh, at that time, we were about seven or 10 or something like that. So it has evolved rapidly. We have five divisions. We have housing, healthcare, education, um, food security and employment. So we do a, a lot of different things, uh, but social enterprise is one of one of the things that we really connect with. We are entrepreneurs and we like creating new things in Edmonton. Awesome. Yes, and I'm uh, Murray Soroka, so I'm the CEO of the Jasper Place Wellness Center. And I, I fondly remember that day tw- uh, 10 years ago when I met Henry. Uh, Just Place Wellness Center has been going for 13 years now, and we're still trying to end homelessness, and we're making some really huge strides as a city on that topic. So we're really excited about that. And through all the endeavors uh, Henry mentioned, all the five divisions, alleviating poverty is probably at the core of that now, uh, working with vulnerable people, trying to uh, lift them out of poverty and, and homelessness. And so there's a lot of work to be done, and it's been exciting to watch hundreds of people go through our housing program, earn or gain permanent housing, and then permanent employment, and gain a lot of skills along the way. So it's been a really exciting journey, and the next 12 years, I think, are even going to be more exciting. Hmm. Thank you. 
Jasper Place Wellness Center has a really unique mission statement. You talk about your desire to explore and provide innovative and accessible health and community-based solutions. I'm curious where that mission statement came from and what it means to you. What does it mean to explore and provide innovative solutions? So we are very entrepreneurial, for sure. So we are continually exploring different venues to help our community members from Edmonton. And we know that we need to do something that is different, that are going to solve a problem. And it has to be something based in community. It cannot be something that it is based just from the outside. We have to make sure that we put foots on the ground and we understand what is happening on the ground. And then we develop something that is going to be meaningful for Edmonton. Uh, so I think what it means to me, and I, I think that uh, it is very difficult to translate the meaning of uh, a mission statement to everybody, but for me is that uh, we have the desire to continuously see what are the issues in Edmonton, and we want to solve those problems. Yeah, I'd have to agree with Henry. Being entrepreneurial and coming at social issues from an entrepreneurial point of view, I think we see things differently and we see how to solve problems differently. So we look at problems of homelessness or uh, poverty or a lack of employment or lack of good health care or lack of good food security as an access issue, but also as, a, as an opportunity to really grow in those sectors and not just doing it by government grants or, or the way we always seem to have worked in those sectors. And People that are vulnerable and living in poverty deserve the right to have programs and businesses and opportunities just like anybody else and and be treated and not differently just because of their poverty. So putting people to work, helping them find a home and learning how to access food and good health care is really meaningful work to us and really meaningful for our community. Hmm. One thing that I want to add is the difference between mission and vision is mission is the engine that will produce a lot of movement and motivation. And uh, that's why our mission is developed in that way, which means that all of our people are, are in, the, in the process of looking for solutions for problems internally and externally. Now, the vision that we have, that is something that we desire to accomplish. We want to desire people to uh, attain a level of wellness so that it doesn't matter where they are at. So maybe they have uh, a little bit less of health, but they have good consistent housing and they have good employment. And maybe because they have those two, then they are able to go into the medical clinic or, or medical services, and then they will increase their opportunity to be healthy. And then the wellness factor just increases exponentially once we uh, tackle uh, the problems at a holistic uh, way instead of just one at a time. Yeah, thanks. I, I actually was going to ask you as a follow-up to the mission statement, what is the change that you want to see in the world? And Henry, I think you did a really good job of starting to address that. Is there anything you want to add? Uh, no, I think Henry uh, is very good at, at expressing uh, where we want to go as an organization and uh, and the change that we do want to make in our city. And, and definitely we want to see uh, our city healthy and well. And that means housing. That means employment. That means food security. That means uh, good access to good health care. Hmm. So you've already both mentioned a little bit about some of your social enterprises uh, and the services that you offer through Jasper Place Wellness. I wonder if you could just take a minute to describe in a nutshell what are some of the things that you do, what are some of the innovations that you've created? Let me start from 
probably seven years ago when we started with this stuff. Uh, we were running a housing first program where we uh, were moving some clients from one apartment to the other, uh, another apartment, maybe not because of an issue, but because their family reintegrated into their lives and they needed a bigger apar apartment. Uh, there were other situations, but the housing component it was, tra it was transitional for them. And then we saw that to be able to serve our clients and to serve our, the landlords well, we needed to connect with four different uh, businesses. But to organize that logistically was a challenge. So we des uh, decided to start three businesses right away. So a junk removal company, a moving company, a cleaning uh, and, and groundskeeping company. Uh, and uh, that was the start of redemptive development all at the same time. From that point, uh, we did that internally but then we, I think it was a year later when we uh, expanded that to the nine organizations that were deliver, delivering the Housing First program, and it was very successful. And then what we saw is that the junk removal company was just thriving. So we decided to go into the next level, and uh, to go to the next level, we needed uh, funding. And then uh, we went and, and borrowed money from the Social Enterprise Fund uh, to buy trucks, uh, increase... Uh, increase our uh, social media uh, and marketing camp uh, awareness. Uh, what else did we buy uh, with that money, Murray? Oh, we bought some uh, uh, trucks, tr trucks, trucks and, and bins, bins rental yeah. bins, and, and then uh, equipment to, mm -hmm. for the moving company, equipment for the cleaning company, uh, vehicles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And then from there, uh, we saw that there was a need because if we were doing junk removal. We moved many things to the waste management center in Edmonton, and we uh, saw a, a big problem with mattresses, thousands of mattresses being um, in just a store, no store, but landfill uh, there. And it was a big problem. We talked to the city. They wanted to do something about it. And then up, uh, some uh, a part of our team went to Auckland to see a big mattress recycling company in, in the States. And we came back with some ideas. We started very small with uh, Sleep Country and uh, the brick. And, and then uh, the, the city of Edmonton um, put an RFP. And then we competed with four different companies. We won the RFP. And then the mattress recycling company, which is the right now we are the largest mattress recycling company in Alberta, uh, Emerald Award winning, uh, award winning company in Alberta, uh, it just started at that moment. I think the first year we did about 50,000, it recycled 50,000 mattresses. And this, uh, the second year, which is it was last year, we did 68,000 mattresses. And then I think that we are going to do probably seven, 70, 72,000 without counting Calgary, because now we open Calgary, another, um, another facility there. So if we do another 16,000 mattresses this year, then it's going to be about 86,000 uh, uh, mattresses or recycling mattresses in Alberta. So I think that's a, it's short, but that's how it happened. Wow. And so through these social enterprises, you're, you're working to provide employment alternatives for people who might have a difficult time finding jobs elsewhere. Um, I'm sure that in itself comes with its challenges and its tensions. Uh, what are some some things you've learned along the way, some tensions you've faced when it comes to that social enterprise side of what you're doing. Yeah, well, uh, Redemptive Developments really has uh, uh, two missions, and one is to alleviate poverty through employment. 
for vulnerable people. And the other mission is actually to build wealth for the organization. We're still working on that one uh, <laughs> seven or eight years later, but it might come uh, eventually as we, uh, grow, we continually grow. But yeah, employing vulnerable people, it, it can be challenging. There's no doubt about it, uh, especially when you're running businesses that have that are for the public, uh, that have competition in our junk removal sector. It's very competitive and we're competing with large multinational companies. And we also have contracts and, you know, contracts with the city of Edmonton to uh, recycle the mattresses, meaning we have to be open seven days a week and we have to be able to uh, produce uh, the numbers that we've said that we produce, not only in recycling, but, um, you know, the amount of material that we recycle. So, and, and doing that with vulnerable people can be very challenging. But about 80% of our workforce are vulnerable people, which is a very high number we've come to understand. Looking at other social enterprises where it's probably the exact opposite, it's more like 20% of your workforce is vulnerable. And 80% are, are people that aren't experiencing vulnerability. And we've really focused on kind of three sectors. So 30% of our workforce is newcomers to Canada. 30% of our workforce is youth. And 30% of our workforce are people coming primarily through our housing program. Uh, and they have their own vulnerabilities. There's a lot of uh, addiction and mental illness in, the, in that category. And um, it can be very challenging on days uh, for our managers. And each day is taken as a challenge in and it's of itself. Uh, you have people with uh, having uh, severe mental health issues uh, and addiction issues that are coming into the workplace. Um, and this, the managers really have to be careful how to manage that, that uh, warehouse on certain days and who's in the warehouse and, and catch the mood of the room and how it's going. So definitely there's a tension there. Uh, and then be profitable hmm. and, and get the product out and serve customers well. So we've... Um, built what we call our failure resume, and it's quite extensive and growing constantly, but we're proud of our failure resume, and, and we're, we're, we want to show the world that, you know, we fail, and we fail a lot, and we make a ton of mistakes, and we're trying to make mistakes in favor of our employees, and we don't always succeed at that either. We've learned a lot. Working with vulnerable populations is very challenging, as I said, and it's costly, um, I've run businesses my whole life, and to and our payrolls, more than 50% of our income goes to payroll. And that's on purpose. Uh, sometimes I like it to be a lot lower, so we uh, aren't in the red all the time. But you can't always make that decision from a black and white uh, financial bottom line picture. Uh, when you've got human beings as the primary focus of why you're running the business and not profit as the primary reason, you look at things differently. So it's been very interesting, very challenging, and, and we're getting much better at it all the time. And uh, as long as we continue to um, flaunt our resume of failure uh, and not hide it, I think we'll become vulnerable ourselves to uh, other, other, the work world. What's an example of a failure on that resume that you oh, would I can like give to you share many. with others and <laughs> that you've learned from? One of our first, very first ones is our junk removal company at Henry Start uh, mentioned at the, in the very beginning. And, you know, we thought, well, we just want to take 10 people out to a junk removal. And we would take two, three vehicles full of people and we'd show up there with a truck and a trailer and off we go into this apartment to remove the junk. And, you know, we did that for several months. Till, and then, you know, it came to uh, a point where we were having trouble making payroll. And we're kind of just, why are we having so much trouble uh, making payroll? 
Um, today, we take two people out to a drunk removal, and um, only one of those people are, are come from that vulnerable side. We even had uh, people that were vulnerable driving our trucks, and insurance got really expensive after a while, after the accidents piled up, and it was unsafe. And safety's got to be a primary thing for everybody. So, you know, the good-hearted intention, social work side of our brains... Uh, was having a battle with uh, the logical, analytical side of our brains going, we need to make this safe and we need to make it profitable. Mm. Hmm. Thanks. Um, when we're talking about social innovation, we're often talking about people who are trying to understand and address really complex systems. And the issues that you're working to address, you know, housing, health, poverty, employment barriers, these are complex I'm sure you've bumped up against different barriers and gaps in the system that have been frustrating to you. What are some examples of things you'd love to change in the systems you're working within and ways that you're trying to approach that? Ooh, my big one is social procurement right now. I, I think um, to know that cities and provinces, uh, municipalities, governments uh, are procuring billions of dollars worth of work every year and not taking into account that they could have a social procurement piece to their policy and that people experiencing um, homelessness or vulnerable people uh, or social enterprises should have an opportunity to uh, have a bit of an edge when it comes to procuring uh, product uh, or services. So that's my big one right now. Mm -hmm. I think one that we are just swimming in and trying to get out of it. Uh, no, no, not get out of it, but trying to make a change in, in, in those kind of waves and, and trying to surf the waves uh, is, uh, is owning. Mm. You know, so we, we started a, a development, construction and renovation company, but uh, we uh, bought land. Uh, we, have, uh, uh, we have received uh, funding from, uh, from the government and we have uh, uh, community engagement all in favor of doing this, but the zoning of those uh, parcels of land are not the right zoning. Uh, but according to different zoning structures that the city has developed, they were. But when you go to the details, they are not. So, but we have been just going back and forth. We hire a, a civil engineer, very astute individual, and, and then we have been having different conversations with different groups in the city. And uh, we, have, we are close to a, a big win. And if that big win happens, uh, it, it, it's going to benefit us, but it's not only about us. Like everyone is going to benefit. Any developer is going to be able to uh, provide permanent supportive housing in the city of Edmonton with uh, some zoning restrictions that uh, uh, that were uh, are taking down by some of the the initiatives that we have mm -hmm. um, taken uh, in the last probably year. Because it, it has taken a year for us to be able to be where we are at now with that zoning. Yeah, it's been very, I'll chime in here because it's been very frustrating to uh, buy a piece of property and a permitted use is this use. And then when you go to apply for a building permit or development permit, that isn't a permitted use. And in fact, the language in the zoning had um, discriminatory language around people's cognitive abilities. And to shine that light on a zoning problem and understand that we have in our zoning in Edmonton 
a, a, a description of people's behaviors and cognitive abilities as a part of a zoning bylaw seemed extremely uh, discriminatory. And uh, it took us, like Henry said, a year for people to understand this isn't right. Hmm. Zoning should be about buildings, not people. And we shouldn't be zoning uh, for those people to live with us people seemed really, really wrong. And, and, you know, Canada has just passed the law that says housing is a human right. And Edmonton hasn't adopted that yet. Uh, either has the province of Alberta adopted that policy that says housing is a human right. So, yeah, Henry's right. This is a, a major, major flaw that's been exposed by our work. And we're quite happy to take a lot of... Um, bows and arrows over this one, and, and uh, maybe I should even say uh, some really uh, strong attacks uh, from people that want to continue to zone people out of their neighborhoods. Hmm. Hmm. So as you work to address these fairly major system-level issues, whether it's around procurement or zoning, um, are, there, are there practices you're learning that work well? Are there ways of working with others that have been constructive? things you would say don't do to other people? I, I think the best practice is you have to be present. But once you take a break, uh, then things just go in a different direction and people forget about you very fast. And um, as an organization, we have been very nimble, very flexible, but uh, in working our, our processes internally mostly, I think in the last couple of years we have been, we have become a little bit more uh, a community-based organization that is interacting with government a little bit more. And not that we didn't want to do it before. It, before, we were just building businesses. Now we are looking at, well, we are going to build these businesses, but there are a lot of barriers. So now we have to engage. And if you are not engaged, if you are not present, then, uh, yeah, things are not going to go in the direction that you hope for. And then your vision is not going to be re realized. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we really feel that, you know, the procurement policy and the uh, zoning policies will leave for for system change that will affect generations to come. Um, the procurement one alone, uh, I believe, would put hundreds, if not thousands of people to work in Edmonton and right across this prov province and maybe right across Canada once adopted and understood that, um, uh, you know, making room for social employment through the social procurement process is, is extremely valuable. Uh, you mentioned your expansion into Calgary. What What is it looking like to start to expand and to, I guess, franchise your social enterprises? Is that the model you're taking or what does this look like? No, we're expanding. Uh, you know, I think franchise is something we'd want to do at some point. I think uh, that's an opportunity to teach other not-for-profits uh, and other social agencies uh, how to really add value to the work they do. And also maybe to build wealth for those organizations. I mean, we've always struggled with uh, funding, and now we want to struggle with um, income mm. and financing, which is another struggle in and of itself, but it makes us sustainable. So Calgary uh, was a market uh, that um, we saw as an opportunity only because the city of Calgary has decided to continue to uh, bury mattresses. And... Uh, our job, we felt, was important to get down there and show that it could be done and be done from a social justice perspective where people can gain employment and uh, show the city of Calgary that maybe this is an opportunity also, since they're passing a social procurement policy, that this would be a great opportunity to uh, highlight social procurement 
and uh, and save the environment at the same time. Mm. We know that burying mattresses uh, doesn't help the environment at all, and that recycling mattresses has great impact on on um, the environment. And plus, we we also believe though that we could do the junk removal there, and we also believe that we could probably do housing in Calgary uh, once our uh, development company is up and running here. We haven't looked at the zoning bylaws there to see if they're discriminatory yet or not. They're um, better than Edmonton. They are? Okay. Oh, good. So there we go. That's a good thing. And, and, you know, maybe our healthcare component, maybe our food security component, maybe mattress recycling or the social enterprise piece of what we do is the tip of the arrow into that community. We're also looking at some other smaller rural communities where a healthcare might be the uh, point of the arrow that we go into a community and then bring social enterprise and healthcare and uh, food security and behind it. So we see that because we have a multifaceted model, we can go to different communities with different facets of what we do and engage that community in, in with our strengths. Hmm. And what their needs are. So like if we go to Calgary, definitely the needs is, okay, there is mattress, mattresses that are being uh, stored in the landfill uh, and but if we go to High Prairie or some uh, northern community, healthcare is a big thing. Principally, if we are talking about uh, Aboriginal health, and we need to make sure that we are ready for that. And we have uh, we have started our uh, medical services here in Edmonton, and we have um, we have been gaining a lot of experience in how to deal with uh, uh, the Alberta health system. We want something different. That's another probably a, a, another challenge for us in how to address sustainability in a community health center uh, style of medical services uh, because it's different than fee for service. Right now we are fee for service, but we want to do something different. And how can we bring something like this to High Prairie and have better outcomes? Uh, that w- that would be something good. But again, we are going to face. Uh, System systems barriers, and we are going to have to go and uh, start being exposed to that, engage, and hopefully change the systems. Hmm. And as you take these different steps and start to branch out into other communities, how are you deciding where to go, what focus to have in those communities? A lot of time it's um, communities reaching out to us. Okay. People are looking for uh, alternative ideas to address uh, some of the systemic problems that we have, poverty being a big one. Um, and housing and healthcare and food security, um, social enterprise. I mean, uh, people want employment for their vulnerable populations. Vulnerable populations are getting left behind constantly. Uh, and w- the work world doesn't kind of understand how to create businesses that aren't profit-driven. Profit's important, and, and we'll clearly say that, and we want profit, but it's not our primary driver. Our primary driver is people. And there's not enough businesses that have that as the driving force of their, of their design of their business. So when people look and we get calls from agencies every single week, we want to start a social enterprise. Can you tell us how to start a social enterprise? We want to become sustainable. Uh, grants are drying up. There's too many people um, uh, uh, chasing the same dollars. Funding's hard to get. It takes time. It's inconsistent. It's usually has a, uh, a sunset on it that's very short, maybe a one-year, maybe two-year funding, maybe three-year funding, you're lucky, and then it's over. Uh, and, 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 and you almost create unemployment through uh, these short funding cycles for people that want to go out and do good social work. So, I mean, I was in Ontario a couple of months ago talking to uh, a group in Ontario that wants to do what we're doing, and they don't want just one piece of our model. They want all five. Hmm. 
and they see that it's more holistic in its approach. And they understand that maybe if we do mattress recycling in the small community first, we can do the rest and build on that strength because that'll create some income and that'll create employment and that'll create uh, opportunity to engage people. And once you're engaging vulnerable people in meaningful work, uh, helping them with food security or health care or housing uh, in that same small town I was in, uh, when they realized uh, that we're also building housing now for affordable housing, they engaged us on another level. So we're not out looking for <laughs> to sell this model. We didn't even know we had a model at one point. <laughs> uh, it's when people phone us up and say, you know that model that you're doing with these five divisions? We want that too. I said, that's a model? And I turned to Henry, do we have something here we don't know that we have? And how can we... Um, solidify this in a way that adds value to any community. Very cool. Now, it, it really sounds like you've been quite agile and flexible as you've evolved and have kind of taken on and adapted new enterprises, even starting to shift where you're working uh, in different communities. If you think back to that meeting you mentioned in a coffee shop back when you first started in this role, Henry, uh, what, what do you think would have surprised the two of you back then the most if you could see the future of Jasper Place Wellness and what it would become today? What is most surprising to you along that journey or what has been? Well, I, you know, like the, the passion piece for me at that moment is that we were going to solve a major problem in Edmonton. But now we are tackling like five, six or more. So, and I know that uh, as an uh, entrepreneur as well and having business background, yeah, I can see those things happening. But at that moment, at that moment, I wasn't thinking about that. I was just thinking, yeah, we can, we can end homelessness. That's what drew me to this. I think, I don't know if it is surprise, but it, it is really interesting to be like with leadership that will is open to to go in different directions. So Marie has a way of developing some kind of venues to explore ideas, and it, well, he he is not sure of ideas as well. So so we have a lot of ideas together, and with all the people, we have even more ideas. So uh, I think my surprise is the kind of leadership that it takes to move forward with something significant. Mm -hmm. Because not every, not every single team can do it. Now, that would be my surprise, just the leadership style, the leadership foundation that we have. To move from those ideas to actually making yes, them reality. Yes, to action. Mm. To operationalize them. That's what I always say to Henry. How do we operationalize this idea? How do, you know, because there's no shortage of good ideas. And, and um, we get pitched good ideas all the time from our staff who uh, work in a very innovative atmosphere and entrepreneurial atmosphere, even though some of them have more of a social justice view of the world, they are, they're starting to understand that the entrepreneurial side is really important to operationalize those ideas. So I think I'd be surprised that, you know, just the reach that we have, we're a very small organization. Nobody knows who the heck we are. I'm quite happy with that. <laughs> um, our media people aren't, uh, but our marketing people want us to express ourselves differently. But that's quite all right for me. I, you know, it's really about just let's do the work. Let's prove ourselves that we can actually do this and let's um, find a way to be sustainable. So we're not having our hand out. That really drove me crazy, still drives me crazy. Uh, we haven't done a bake sale in about five years, so I'm really happy about that. And, you know, and it's all that little grinding stuff that uh, 
good social agencies have to do to stay alive is just maddening. So I'm surprised that we're not doing that stuff, that we're actually probably at a more sustainable level than we've ever been. And um, the ideas don't stop coming. So that's kind of surprising to me because when we started this, it was because um, our community was uh, didn't seem to have a proper response to the homeless crisis and uh, didn't have a proper response to poverty. And uh, we wanted to run soup kitchens. We wanted to run shelters. And we wanted to run food banks. And all of those things aren't bad things, but what's the end game in all three of those things? And it's definitely not what we want to do. So we think... The way to end homelessness is to build housing. And we've been on that trajectory for years, and we just need homes. We don't need more shelters. We don't need more transitional housing. We need homes. Food security, uh, if food banks are the emergency room of food uh, security, what's the preventive model? And who's working on that? And I want to talk to those people because I have a whole bunch of ideas, and Henry has a whole bunch of ideas about food security and our community has ideas about food security and what are the right ones to be working on and how do you actually do that? We ran a soup kitchen and I hated every moment of it. I mean, people got fed, yes, and, and I'm, I'm thankful that we could feed people, but it didn't help people in the long run. We ran a food bank and the same issue didn't help people in the long run. Uh, and the housing idea that we kind of innovated, uh, we kind of started housing first and we didn't even know we were doing it. But we just housed people because they were coming to us homeless. And, okay, well, I guess you need a house. Those kinds of ideas, I think, are what is going to change how we deal with complex issues. So as you think about those ideas you have for getting better at looking at root causes, at preventing some of these issues in our community, uh, what gives each of you hope as you look ahead? Oh, I'm really excited. I think um, about housing. I think uh, this uh, bylaw change that we saw, uh, hope that go through re- soon here, will be a game changer, not just for us, but anybody who wants to build uh, affordable housing in Edmonton in a different way. We're not talking huge, large buildings. We're talking about smaller buildings that are much more socially engaged and, and, and probably a healthier way to live. Um, I'm really excited about where we're going with food security and and, and where the world's going around food. And uh, Edmonton is right at the forefront of that. I think um, there's a lot of good ideas around food security in Edmonton. Healthcare, I'm nervous about that one, but I'm excited about the way we're doing it. I'm just, you know, it's such a huge issue and it's such a challenging issue on the delivery of healthcare. It's going to take a lot more time for us to do that one well, and it's going to be a hard... um, animal to change, but I think we'll just keep biting away at the toes of that animal and, 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 and bring that change. Yeah, what it gives me hope is that, it, is that you can see more and more people, even the newer generations, just acting like the, the way that we are doing things are the ways that should be. That's exactly what gives me hope, because you, you don't have to fight with them. They already have the DNA to do the things that need to be done. You know, we have been fighting with other, other generations probably in systems, and I'm not talking about people necessarily because systems are, are generational systems at the same time. So basically, these uh, uh, new, uh, new individuals have the DNA to move those systems and optimize them and, and change them completely, depending on what they want to do. But it, it seems like they, they have it, and that it is... It is very difficult to describe. It's very difficult to picture. But 
you know when you're looking at, at university students, we have we had about 60 people uh, from the university doing placements in, in our community health center. When you talk to them, they have it. And that it, uh, again, that is the, the what gives people hope because you know that they are going to be the ones that are going to change the world from what it is to what needs to be. And I don't know if it's going to take a long time. It could be. But there are changes that can be almost, uh, almost well, if you're talking about dec decades, I think it could be fairly um, uh, short uh, changes that, that can be implemented by them. So That's beautiful. Uh, we'll definitely include links to Jasper Place Wellness Center in our show notes. Is there anything else you want to share about what you do or what you've been learning at Jasper Place uh, for our listeners? Well, I want to say thank you for inviting us to participate. And you mentioned that uh, sometimes in, uh, like, we don't know what's happening in the communities. We don't know what is happening in Alberta. Uh, it would be great if more stories are uh, shared because we know that we are not the only ones. And, and we know uh, that there are many other people that want to start social enterprises. And uh, definitely they want to tackle uh, social and environmental issues. And we want, we want to see that. And hopefully Alberta will be a leader in, on, on those areas. So that's what I want to say at the end. Yes, thank you for having us. Thank you. And thanks for taking the time to share. I know a lot of people who are starting to think about social enterprise in Alberta have, have spoken about you as their role models in terms of an organization that's doing this in an interesting way in the province. So it's really great to hear your reflections, to hear a little bit about how your work has evolved and what you've started to learn along the way. Uh, and yeah, thanks for sharing your time with us. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in for this episode of PAUSE. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge that the recording you heard today was made on Treaty 6 territory, a land steeped in ceremony and history that until relatively recently was used exclusively by Indigenous peoples. We acknowledge the past, present and future generations of the First Nations and Métis peoples whose presence continues to enrich our vibrant communities and who have traditionally gathered in and cared for this place. This episode was recorded with the help of the incredible Lisa Pruden at the Edmonton Community Foundation. Elise Martinoski edited the episode with help from Lisa Pruden. Pause is a production of Alberta Social Innovation Connect, or ABSI Connect. You can learn more about our network, find our newsletter, and get inspired by and connected to other Albertan changemakers by visiting our website, www.absiconnect.ca. Our funding partner is the Suncor Energy Foundation, Theme music was created by the Fort McMurray Youth of the Soundforce Collective. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us out by sharing it with a friend and rating us on iTunes or your favourite listening platform. Eager for a deeper dive into the work of Jasper Place Wellness Centre? Also check out episode 43 of the Edmonton Community Foundation's Well Endowed podcast. You can find the link in our show notes. <laughs>